This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello and welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. I'm Leon Logan-Nathan with me, my co-host, who had some computer problems, Mr. Peter Gowers. Hello there, and that is correct. It's good good to see you. Not quite in the flesh. Yeah, not quite in the flesh and a little worse for wear, but uh, I am. Yeah, how are those ribs going, man? I meant to ask you. Yeah, they're not good. The official word is two fractures. Oh, bad. Yeah, yeah. Two two is better than three, right? Two is better than three, yep, correct. And not as good as one. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway. So, like, when you say fracture, does it mean, like, hairline or does it mean, like, broken in half? No, yeah, good question. Not broken in half because the the results basically say that um, everything's in place. So there's not – because what can happen, given the nature of them, if you whack them hard enough, they can go into things they shouldn't. Oh, yes. Um, But no, no no damage around anywhere else. Just the the bones themselves have got fractures in them and um, there's nothing they can do other than a bit of pain medication and time. Time. Mm. Acupuncture, not good. <laughs> any, any form of touch, no good. Uh, all right, mate. Well, uh, I, I wish you a speedy recovery and I'll try not to lean on you too much <laughs> in the meantime. Just, just um, to, you know, full disclosure, um, there's going to be minimal laughing tonight, okay? Okay, that's, uh, right. That's, the, that's problematic, yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah, laughing, coughing, sneezing, anything like that, but laughing seems to really aggravate, so okay. we'll, we'll keep it dull as possible. All right, all right. Well, look, I'm not sure how that's going to go. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. We live in Darwin, which is an eternity away from South America, Yep. and yet um, this will be the second time on this podcast that we have had someone from South America mm. well and truly entrenched in Darwin, I have yeah. to say. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, as you know, we've had Ben Pavito Alfonso, uh, who, a.k.a. the President of the Northern Territory. Yeah. Uh, he, he has been on the podcast a few times now, I think three, I, I am going to guess. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Um, and he's uh, still uh, kicking goals and doing mm-hmm. Columbia proud yes. uh, as, as, uh, our, as an adopted son. And we also have someone who is equally famous, I would have to say, uh, and who is also kicking goals. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce, I know you know her, but uh, to our listeners, Miss Giovanna Webb. Giovanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Leon. It's just such a pleasure to be with both of you, with Peter and you. Yeah. Uh, we, we planned this for a few months, I guess. We have. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally we made it, and I'm extremely proud and happy to be here Great. with both of you. Yeah, now, how do you know Pete? Pete, remember? <laughs> Peter, Peter, how do you know so, Pete? So, yeah. hmm. so uh, through Crocodilus. Mm-hmm. So we're trying, what we're building, we're trying to build some uh, website. Okay. Yep. And, and then when you were talking about Peter, I wasn't sure it was the same person. Just keep, Peter keeps coming, coming back to my mind. It's the same one, it's not. And as soon as I saw you, 
Yes, bingo. Yes, it's the same, yeah, Peter. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's great. Great to see you again. Correct. Yeah, and I, and I think um, initially as well, when, when uh, I was first uh, involved with the local radio stations up here and obviously Crocodilus was a, a big part of the promotional campaign, so I'm sure we did some things out your way at that time as well. Yes. That's right. Yeah, yeah, mm. yes. Time, time goes so fast. It and does. Anyway, yeah. Here now, we are. Now tell us, you're obviously born uh, not in Australia, <laughs> in <laughs> Colombia. <laughs> um, give us a, a geography lesson, Giovanna. Where in oh, Colombia wow. Okay. So, indeed, so I'm from Colombia since my very strong accent. Uh, <laughs> I have been here 25 years. And I reckon the longer I'm here, the thicker my accent gets. <laughs> so you're a bit like Converse <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I love, love Australia, love Colombia. I, I finish, uh, well, um, topography lessons. I, I am originally from Bogota, the capital yeah. city of Colombia. Yeah. We had 12 million people. Uh, Contrary to what most people think, we are uh, up in the mountains, 2,600 meters high, whole all year round. Mm. Most people think, oh, Darwin, tropics, same yeah. Colombia. You're at no. home. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it, it is cold. Uh, we are the land where we grow flowers and, and coffee. So um, I finished I finish university when I was yeah, 21. I did vet and animal husbandry. And my passion was to go and work in something unconventional. So I decided to move to the coast of Colombia. And, and I was really happy. I got off of my first job. Little I knew at the time in the 90s, early 90s, there was a red zone which was occupied by guerrillas and paramilitars, and they were fighting each other. Mm. And I do remember my first day of induction, they hand over a revolver, and it wasn't really to look after the, the animals and the farm where they was working, but it was all the unrest. I know the issues that was really they were going on at the time. But, uh, yes, Colombia is quite diverse. So we have two coasts, Atlantic, Pacific. We have the Amazon, the Andes, the, the Llanos. So we look very different. We have um, yeah. quite a European and German influence. So my mother is quite pale and green eyes, blonde. My father, on the other hand, is quite dark. He's my grandmother was African, so since the mixture. So, wow. so you can't really tell a Colombian one from another quite easily because we look quite different. However, a lot of people, they say, as soon as they, they look at me, yeah, you are South American and you must be Colombian. So somehow <laughs> I have that, that mixture. <laughs> so, wow. so when you say you worked on the coast, was it the Atlantic or the Pacific coast? I work in the Atlantic, so I moved to um, a place very close to Cartagena, yes, which okay. was obviously a beautiful place. 
the first city settled by the Spanish in South America, gorgeous place. That is really similar to that. The only thing that's missing here is the forts and everything else. But uh, weather-wise, similar, uh, quite a colorful, happy place. But, um, yeah, so I went to run a crocodile, uh, iguanas, and snakes farm. So mm-hmm. that was part that was part of a large cattle cattle farm it was about six thousand hectares, and I was to implement all my husbandry knowledge in reptile in the reptile industry. So wow. it was uh, it was quite a challenging uh, at the time, and mm-hmm. and I I moved after few years. I moved from farm to farm, all in the reptile business. And a few years later, I moved to the Amazon, and that was uh, another change. It was just amazing. Yeah. So in the Amazon, I went to work, and I, and I was monitoring uh, the crocodiles in the river. Uh, it was great, but I guess beyond the animals and the work that I was doing, I really enjoyed to work with the indigenous people, the resilience, and, and how amazing they were. So, uh, years later, I moved back to the coast and then I was working as a commercial consultant to other farms. And doing this, I met a wonderful Aussie who, who is a scientist and he was implementing the crocodile technology that was developed in DMT. Mm. So we started a relationship in Colombia, and then we met in different countries, in different forums, conferences, and I decided to move to Australia for six months. <laughs> I couldn't speak no English. I had no friends, no family. Hang on, but um, Graham, could he speak English? I mean, sorry, he could he no, speak Spanish? No, Graham couldn't speak one word of Spanish. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we between the lines. A lot of meanings, a dictionary, and a lot of our friends, they could speak both English and Spanish. They say, well, so they were translating for you. So I came to, to, to that straight from Bogota, Bogota, a 12 million people city to Darwin. Um, and I, 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 f- I fell in love, I fell in love with, with the place. And next day, Graham said, okay, I'm off the world. What are you doing? So very quickly, I, I had to go and, and enroll myself to uh, English course and start working really the, the week after. And I think just... So this is in Darwin? Necessity in Darwin, here. Yeah. So, what year, so what year did you come to Darwin? So when I arrived, Crocodilos part was just open. It was nothing. It was... Uh, it was really couple, couple enclosures, nothing much. So um, we together developed Crocodilos. At the beginning was uh, a research and, ed- and education center. And a few years later, we decided to extend into a zoo. Like most capital cities, they have a zoo, it's a Darwin. Mm. And a lot of our uh, local indigenous kids, they never have seen a lion, a tiger, or a monkey. So we decided, why not? So, so there we went and we um, become part of, um, of a zoo association. So we could purchase animals and we extend the enclosures. And doing that, 
the critical and industry started growing. So a lot of the big fashion houses like Prada, Gucci, Versace, Hermes, they started looking for Australian saltwater critical skins. And so we, we kept going with, with the zoo. But at the same time, the critical industry did just keep pushing and pushing for at, at different different levels for the for uh, tourism, uh, skins, employment, eggs, indigenous. So um, we decided, okay, so let's go into critical farming. So we extend from this, from the research the zoo to the farm, and in Australia we have. Uh, a mix, um, mixed way of collecting crocodile eggs. So we can produce our own eggs on site as well as go and collect them from the wild. So we have to have um, licenses from government and we go on a tender every year. We purchase the eggs from uh, from local communities, so it's, it's a contract, and we pay about said forty dollar per crocodile egg, uh, and um, about five or six of the crocodile farms we collect about fifty thousand eggs times forty dollar, mm-hmm. and so that money goes straight into the indigenous communities. The eighty five percent of the land where we collect the eggs owned by them. So it is a good incentive and it's a good um, uh, it's, it's, it's a good benefit really for them. So so they don't have to do work. We go in the in the choppers and the helicopters. A lot of people they ask me sometimes are you crazy? How do you go to the swamp <laughs> to collect local eggs? Yeah. So the way how we do it, uh, normally in teams of three people we go in the helicopter and uh, one of us will carry a backpack with all the all the forms and things that we have to check. The another one will take an esky where we have actually to collect the eggs, and the another person will take an oar. It's the only weapon really we, we take. So we are about you know five six teams of three people. The helicopter will drop us in the middle of the swamp and depend whatever is the wet season, the water could be knee level or chest level. And we will really swim, oh and with that massive, uh, massive populations of crocodiles, large crocodiles. So uh, this particular swamp where we have the permit to collect crocodile eggs, there are about five hundred uh, adults crocodiles <laughs> in the swamp. <laughs> so we go uh, and we find where the nests are. And we uncover very carefully the nest because the way how the females, they like the egg, are exactly in the same position. They have to be transferred into the esky because the embryo is on top of the egg. So opposite to chicken eggs, chicken eggs, you have to turn the eggs during the incubation process. Mm. With crocodile eggs, if you, if you turn the egg, the embryo will get a squash. So you will, you will lose your your future mm. uh, crop. So we have to be very careful and take all the data, take the temperature, and pray that the female, the mom, 
crocodile mummies, not a rare. What? Yeah. <laughs> I would be troubled. Oh, um, she wants them back. <laughs> how, how do you, and you wade through the swamp with, how many did you say? 50 crocodiles? 500. 500 yeah, crocodiles. So, so, that, so the, the wild crocodile population is, is really high. And is um, the yeah the, the wild harvest is very important not just because the economic benefit to the landowners to the farms but also to the populations the more we collect the nesting is is very secure and is it's like a spring the more that we collect the more eggs we collect next year and it's and this is a very mm. sustainable sustainable way to really to maintain the species so we have been we have been doing this for i did it for about 20 years going to the swamps every year 20 years and look come on it it has to be dangerous like how how did you how did you not get eaten i think it's a it's a measure risk and depend on whatever you're doing and depend on whatever you are used to the risk is there or not um we know we know um we normally take people who are very skilled at it and and we look after each other and obviously the bone become very instant because once they when we are dropping the swamp and the helicopter goes away Suddenly, all your senses are far more acute. <laughs> you hear better. <laughs> but, uh, you hear better. You see better. Anything, uh, a spider going through a leaf, you, you can see it. So mm-hmm. anyway, so it's, it's it's part of the it's part of the industry. It's part of the farming process. And doing this, we engage and we work very closely with indigenous communities from different different places, and we take a lot of them with us oh. in, 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 on on the journey. Right. So I I run I run a lot of uh, training. I see, I see what's <laughs> going on now. <laughs> so I run out a lot of training. Cannon fodder. Uh, <laughs> courses, I, was, I would say. I was thinking bait, but yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, it's amazing. We work with very closely with people from Money Breeder. So collect mm-hmm. eggs is a is a is a men's business. It's not a mm-hmm. women's business. However, mm-hmm. while I was running the uh training courses with the women, all uh ranges. They come with me into the swamp and they were crying and no, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. But they, they were amazing and they were so mm-hmm. proud at the end. They, they did yeah. it, they managed. And, and it was just, I, I really enjoy working with them because once we finished that, sometimes they went to Manigreda or different communities and they would take me to different experiences. So yeah. equally, I will escape and they will escape me. Okay. So, so okay. it's really good. So, so, so 20 years of doing this, come on, you must have some very good stories, <laughs> surely. Some near misses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, um, we are, I can tell you, we, we took hundreds and hundreds of people, volunteers, a lot of, a lot of media, and 
we took 60 minutes. Uh, 60 Charles, minutes, right. 60 ah. minutes. He came, came, came with us a few times. Right. And Charles Woolley? Charles Woolley, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Charles Woolley. Yeah. Um, he came with us a couple of times. And he said, look, Giovanna, I have been filming in Serbia in all these different countries where the war is mm. at max. I've never been scared in my whole life as I was today. And he came with us. <laughs> and, and, and another thing when we go to the swamp, uh, obviously there are a lot of many other animals more than crocodiles. And one of them is, um, if we're not careful, there is um, a bacteria that produces um, a disease that is lept leptospirosis. So leptospirosis mm. is, is a bacteria that is uh, con highly contagious. If anyone has any little mossy bite or any cuts and gets into your system, it really debilitates anyone, high fevers, and, and it really takes about three months for anyone to recover. So when Charles Woolies got to Sydney, he was in a beautiful, he said, in, a, in his apartment, he said, I'm not feeling that well. And we said, you know what, might go to the nearest hospital because mm -hmm. most likely you will get leptospirosis. Wow. Sure enough, he did. Wow. So, so we have, besides looking just after the animals, we have to be very careful in the yeah. way how we were dressed in the swamp. So boots, tape, um, and the, the whole lot. But, yeah, but yeah. it was, was, was uh, an adrenaline pumping and exciting for sure. Yeah. So, so where is the mother crocodile when you're collecting the eggs and why hasn't she attacked anybody yet? Yeah, well, good question. Normally, they lie the eggs or the nest near by the tree. And around the tree is normally a puddle of water. And the person who is with the oar, their job is really to go and poke really on the ground where the water is. And you will normally know once you're approaching there that if the water is murky, the mom is there. <laughs> and, and I, Brian was actually one of the very few people who has been beaten doing that. So he had the oar. And he touched uh, the bottom and he said, uh-oh, I go <laughs> the back of the, ma of the mother crock is I'm just touching it. Everyone back off. And when he turned around, the female jumped and grabbed his leg. And, and it was, yeah. But I would say he has been probably the only person beaten of anyone uh, in, I don't know, 30 years or so. I hope so, you yeah, had yeah, before that. <laughs> Yes. So, and besides, besides the. And so, what happened? He grabbed his punch. leg, but and how did he manage to get away? So normally, uh, the crocs what they do is they they jump and bite very strongly. It's like get away. That it wasn't oh, really. Mm. I'm going to kill. It's like get away from here. Mm. And and because the force is so strong, the tissue around normally it crosses, and and it takes a very long time to recover. Because mm. because the force as well and the bacteria and everything else. Yeah. But he, I think he has been the only person that I can remember of. In but he has lost some fingers too, as well, hasn't he, or not? 
No, no, he has his own fingers. Who am I thinking of? <laughs> I know somebody's lost. I think that, that was that was another Brian that he had a zoo. I think he had to do. Right. Or, or Tominicus. Tominicus is mm-hmm. a senior crocodile ranger and he lost a couple of fingers. And, and the answer to that question before Leon mm. is he then proceeded to the nest and took all the eggs because he's a true <laughs> territory. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> With one that leg happened. hanging off. <laughs> So I, I've seen uh, I've seen a, uh, a documentary where a mother is laying the eggs. Yeah. I think it might have been with Steve Irwin. I'm not sure. Yes. And you can go there and do, you know you can go right next to the mother and they don't. Yes, do yeah, yeah. So so on the other hand, when we do exactly the same thing but add crocodiles on site. Um, we go inside the enclosure and the female is there. She's very protective, but still we can go in and remove the eggs. And, mm. and then the beauty is that we can really control the sex of, of, of the crocs, it's female or male, depending on the, of the temperature. So if they are 32 degrees, will give us males, but half a degree above or lower will give us females. And obviously as a crocodile farming, business we want miles because they will grow faster and wow and and, and they are like baby crocs are extremely fragile and delicate and they're very fussy you would never think but <laughs> baby crocs they fussy they are the food the smell the noise the stresses they get very they get sick very quickly with anything in the first three months of mm. life so we have to be careful with them wow but the big ones aren't so fussy, right? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> and do the male crocs try to eat the eggs or eat the, the baby yeah, crocs? Yeah, sure, yes, in the wild. Um, so we have in Australia freshwater crocodiles and saltwater crocodiles. Saltwater crocodiles are the ones that we use in farming because the quality of the skin is the best of the best. They are out of 23 species of crocodilians. The Australian one is the whole voice, is the best of the best because the quality, the lack of bone in the belly. So it is, it is very special. The saltwater skins mm-hmm. are the ones that are sourced by all the fashion houses in Europe and all around the world. It's perfect for handbags and for any other product. So, so they're great. But um, just yes, not that anybody will ever see this. That's my wallet, <laughs> crocodile skin wallet. That's right, yeah. So, <laughs> yes, Australian saltwater crocodile skin is, is, is the best, yeah. and and yeah, price wise is also uh, the, the demand is so high, and it's, and it's important for us, for the industry, for the economy. And so, Crocodilus Park used to uh, s- supply skins. Yes, yes, yes. So our customer was Louis Vuitton and Hermes, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> Hermes and Louis Vuitton. So they very strict about uh, the way how the crocodiles are raised because, um, yeah, the animal rights and oh, yes. and. and Everything is, we have to be so careful and very sensitive about uh, all the issues around, around that. So mm. uh, at the end of the day, the consumers, they need to feel that they're doing the right thing by mm. buying an exotic leather product. 
So if, kill the crocodile though. Chain. <laughs> yeah, so, so, oh, yeah. so, so the crocodile farm is like any other farming and we have to do it ethically, sustainably, and just to guarantee to the supplier that they buy a product that is, has been processed in, in the right way. So yeah, so we produce skins for Hermes and Louis Vuitton. Uh, we can do nothing with those skins besides uh, putting salt. They will have someone uh, to check the skins and they're very straight about the quality. And then they will go to, to Europe. They will um, tan and manufacture their own leather goods. And then, yeah, so they have the, the, the chain of the marking different houses selling critical skin goods. Okay, so let me ask you some potentially sensitive questions. Yeah. What age does the crocodile have to get to before it's time for harvesting? So it's, it's all about whatever is in fashions, uh, handbag fashion, I talk. So if, uh, if it's uh, a Birkin bag or it's a tote bag that is 40 centimeters across the handbag, that means that we have to produce a crocodile that will have about 45, 50 centimeters across the belly. Right. And that would take about four years to grow. So it's, it is a risky investment um, because anything happened in four years. Most animal industries, um, pigs, chicken, cattle, there will be between three and six months, 12 right. months with us. With crocodiles, it takes four years. And they have to and make it, sure that they don't scratch themselves. Exactly. And four <laughs> years. And if they have or just one, one simple spot, one is in the belly of the skin is, is gone, is done. So we mm. can't use that skin anymore. It's like so wagyu it beef, Pete. You can't exactly. use brown texture to cover it up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but no, the, 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 the market is very strict. And, and uh. I guess at the end of the day, when people are paying a premium price, they, they want the best of the best. But it's, it's not easy when when you are dealing with an animal that is on the ground mm. all the time for just, four years. I'm just picturing a scene and I'm going to um, throw out some ignorance here for you. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking Louis Vuitton is French, but I could be completely wrong about that. But, no, 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 you're right. Yes. Oh, there you go. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just picturing the stuffy-nosed French buyers ringing you guys up and saying, giving you all the conditions under which it has to be kept. And then I'm Absolutely, thinking... Absolutely, uh, totally. Uh, I'm not thinking of you specifically, but I'm just thinking of the Darwin Northern Territory and the bloke on the end of the phone going, yeah, yep, that's exactly how we did it, mate. Just come down and get them. <laughs> no, no, no. They would not buy anything if it's yeah. not 100% certified from the quality of the water, mm. the staff, and mm. everything else. We had to take so many boxes even to be able to get into that market with, with these guys, with these companies. And are you going to them or are they, have they ever set foot in Darwin and both, seen your both. operation? Yeah, both. So they, ah. uh, they are invested very heavily in, in BNT, yep. which, is, which is good for us. It, yeah. That means it's, a, it's a, a strong industry. So we generate about 100 million a year. Probably that is not much compared with other industries. But farming-wise, it's probably one of the very few areas that people will get a benefit in the yeah. NT. There are not many things they grow here and not many um, things 
that people can benefit in rural, remote Australia. Yeah, yeah. So the communities, they really benefit enormously from the Kurokuan industry because they are employed, because they get the royalties from the eggs. And, and it's done so many different ways. When I ran the Kurokuan training courses with Indigenous women, yeah. it was a way to upskill these women either to source employment in protocol farms, so, but a lot of them, they were more aware uh, incorporating some of the byproducts of the crocodiles into mm. their own artwork. So a lot of them, they do sculptures and, and do different things. And we provided uh, off um, pieces of skin, so teeth or bones, and, and they created a whole new new sort of way of doing things art mm. and mm. they 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 have their own business so it was it was really good yeah really and what good. about what about the meat side of things because mm. you're obviously um selling the skin to the fancy fashion houses but are you utilizing the meats as well uh, yeah absolutely so just like any art industry so we mm. we use the Ribs, fillet, uh, chicks, uh, legs, everything, right. anything and everything. So yeah. we traditionally would try to make it as easier as possible for the consumer. So we created some barbecue packs where people could go and buy uh, sausages and patties and fillet and just mm. put it into a barbecue. And crocodile meat is so easy to cook, really. You have to think crocodile meat as a calamari have to be cooked very quickly and mm. very little spices so otherwise will become very rubbery. But yeah, yeah, so we use every every bit of the of the crock. And what's it's very best, nice, it's healthy. The, what's the best part of the crock? The fillet. The fillet. Yeah, so I yeah. do I do remember that home. So I have um, so we have a son, he's twenty one, Freddie. He's an MBL basketball player. <laughs> but his lunch boxes quite often would fill with crocodile nuggets. So, <laughs> <laughs> or he will have a crocodile omelette for breakfast. So, yeah, quite different. Mm. But yeah. So, but when you say the fillet, is it the belly or the tail? The, the tail. The, the tail. tail, right. The tail. Mm. And it's, uh, yeah, a lot of the restaurants and, and locals and, yeah, uh, interstate, we couldn't, we couldn't keep up with the demand. You couldn't However, keep up with the demand. No, no, no. So anyway, so, so we move, we move um, away more from the commercial side of, the, of producing skins. And uh, it's just... Um, it's just a different, a different world. So we still run the crocodile park. Well, um, and I'm half a step aside and I work now in a total new industry. So I went from crocs to rally rocks. You know, Giovanna, for someone who's, uh, who's uh, English is not your first language. <laughs> You're very, you're very funny and very witty <laughs> in English. <laughs> so, so I am now working with the uh, mining industry yeah. and I work for the Minerals Council of Australia. So 
life has have changed and and I'm enjoying what I'm doing now and learning every day. And how 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 long have you had that job? So I've been working nearly for two years and my challenges are very similar. Uh Kurokali industry or a lot of those wildlife industries like mining and heavily regulated. Uh people in general um if they have a belief it's very difficult to to argue with because it becomes more like a philosophical issue uh, mm-hmm. they don't want to hear or understand a lot of the the scientific or the reasons why you can do this or why you can do that so a lot of the skills that i learn in the industry are very much transferable when it comes to the, to the mining but i but my work now is a bit more light now and i do a lot of events for the mining industry and engage with with the members which is which is great mm you're not getting dropped into mine sites sorry you're not getting dropped <laughs> into <laughs> mine sites <laughs> no <laughs> it's um no it is it is great uh i so do, what sort of mining I, is done in the territory giovanna So in the territory we have iron ore, uh, gold, um, aluminium. Uh, it is an, an incredibly important part uh, of our economy. With the we know in, in the whole Australia, with the other resources industry, Australia will be in a very different position. So even just today, um, one of our dear friends, they export. Finally, after many years of investment, investment, they export iron ore. We are thirty thousand tons today, so mm. it is it is good for everyone. Uh, employment, uh, royalties, and everything. And where did they export it to? China. I'm not quite sure, actually. China's yeah. not taking our iron ore at the moment, uh, Leo. I think they are, mate. <laughs> went I think to PNG. The wine they're not taking. <laughs> went to PNG. <laughs> right. And, and, and Giovanna, you also uh, had tried uh, to get involved in politics at one stage. I did. I guess just being, uh, you know, when you are someone in the community that wants to be part of different things and. Mm. From the basketball and school and different things, people ask, "Hey, what do we have to just contribute sort of a, a politics, a political level?" Mm-hmm. And I and it was uh, it, it was a great experience. So I ran, I ran for Kashirina. When was that? Four or five years ago, yeah. and it was great. Uh, I really get to to know people uh, and their needs and. On different at different levels it, it was good i i think i was very close but probably like politics everyone would say this is timing so mm. i don't think i don't think that that was the the right moment for me but but i it, it was great it was it was a good experience i know would you try the, it again uh, i'm not sure i've been asked a couple of times mm. recently I, yeah. i would not say no yeah. but at, at this particular time i'm enjoying what i'm doing mm. and i'm enjoying probably my my son at the moment watching grow mm. and and develop as a as a young man so at the moment uh i'm quite happy to support others yeah 
and, and see what happens in the future. And not to be controversial and, and obviously not aligning you with any political party, but <laughs> would you like to give a scorecard for the current government? <laughs> <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that was it. That was my answer. Okay. So, and with my, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you um, a question about your family, like your your parents and your siblings. They're all still in Colombia. No. So we are we are three children. Um, our brother is a medical doctor, and he migrated to Portugal about you know nearly twenty years ago. Him and his family is still living in Porto. Uh, my sister lives here, which we are very close and we're very lucky to have each other. And mom and dad are in Colombia. So at the moment, it's very challenging stuff because we mm. cannot get to them. They cannot get here. Mm. They are Australian residents, but they chose to live in Colombia. It, it is hard for um, older people really to migrate mm. to other countries. Mm. So we will see what happens. But... We are very close and, and, and we support each other and we try to support others wherever we can. So my sister here, she has a couple of businesses and her and her family are here. Um, and so we try to see each other every day. And our brother, his family, they equally, they missing just to... to catch up with each other, but what we can, we can at the moment. Yeah. And your sister followed you to Darwin? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So when I was pregnant, she came to visit and I do remember we organized a dinner party with friends of friends and one of those friends and my sister. (laughs) 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 Click that night. And a few months later, they married, happily married. They have a beautiful daughter. So I was I was the winner. So she stayed here. <laughs> so and then you said your parents are also Australian citizens. Yeah, uh, residents. Yes. Residents, so right. they become uh, residents a few years ago, but they they were missing their family, the network. Uh, yes. My dad mm-hmm. still works and very active. So it was it was hard. And now that we want to be together, we, we can. But yeah, anyway, yeah. It, it, as as long as everyone is healthy and safe, then that's what it matters. Mm. Now, you recently um, became the consulate uh, officer for the Northern Territory, did you? Or what yeah, that's there? right. So I've uh, been very humble and privileged to be, I guess, recognised by two presidents. Um, I think just for the work and the support to the community. So uh, two weeks ago, I was in Canberra and I became the honorary consul for Colombia. So it is, it is great. It is just a privilege to be able to, to help, to assist, to give back to, to my people, to mm. Colombians. And traditionally, we were only four families for about 15 years or more. And recently, I think we have probably 200 new Colombians arrived in the last two years. So it's fantastic. And one of them is Benji and many other ones. And we have great Colombians, uh, very active and very switched on. Colombians in general are hardworking people, 
happy people. And everyone was to learn to dance salsa, merengue, mm-hmm. and, and, and learn a little bit of Spanish. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's great to have more Latin people in general in, in that room because it's a, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice way to interact. So my goal is to link the North with the embassy in Canberra but also with Colombia and create new opportunities of trade, uh, education, arts, obviously, besides supporting Colombians, trying to, to create new opportunities for Colombia and, and Australia. Fantastic. Um, I was, actually, I've just lost my train of thought. As you were talking, I had a whole bunch of questions for you about this. Um, you're saying there's 200 Colombian uh, Colombians in Darwin yes. at the moment. Yeah. But, uh, do you have like a festival or something that you yes, do? Yes, so we have uh, next month, um, we have Independence Day. Okay. And it's not me, but uh, a young group of Colombians, very active and they very willing to organize a big festival. So because mm. we are only a small community, uh, it's not going to be as big as obviously plenty, the Glenty. Yeah, no, <laughs> Italians, hopefully, hopefully people will enjoy last year. We had about 500, 600 people coming along and, mm-hmm. and trying different foods and our drinks and music. So I'm looking forward this year, trying to engage with more and more Colombians that they just arrived, yeah. but equally to share our culture with, with Australians. Yes. So we have a, a lot of people really wanting to yeah. to travel to South America. Yes. Uh, in the past, Colombia was one of those scary places that people didn't want to go. But yes. uh, no, last year, the year before, there were there nearly fifteen thousand Australians backpacking in Colombia. Okay. So that was fantastic, and we have a we have an Australian embassy in Colombia now. And we have the, uh, yeah, the consulate here, so mm. should be, should should grow. Do you get the special number plate <laughs> now that you've got the new gear? <laughs> <laughs> I've been told so that I I would. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I wasn't yeah. sure if I I was going to say yes. I think I was mm. talking to Leon about that. Yeah. I'd be probably too embarrassed. But <laughs> talking talking with another friend, he say actually. It, mm-hmm. it is handy if you're really trying to help someone at the hospital, uh, at the airport, or, mm-hmm. or something really. Speeding fines. <laughs> no, I have to pay them. <laughs> 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 uh, Sadly. Uh, to tell me, uh, Giovanna, are there uh, many other South Americans in uh, Darwin? I mean, in other, from well, other. They are traditionally Chileans when they, they migrated in the 60s when Pinochet and everything else. So mm. Chileans, Argentinians, and then Colombians. Um, mm. And very few from other, other parts of Latin America. Uh, most of them are in Sydney and Melbourne. But since the uh, immigration rules change to apply for the for permanent residency so a lot of them are going to tasmania nt and sonada rural areas so, so we are seeing mm. more and more people not just from south america from, from many other countries 
arriving in the NT, which is by then that, that is what it makes NT different. Mm. Another question I have is um, I haven't been to Colombia, but I have been to Argentina and to Brazil, uh-huh. only to the only to uh, Buenos Aires and Rio. So nothing, you know, I mean, it's like say I've been to Sydney, you know, <laughs> I, just mean, <laughs> yes. I haven't seen Australia, right? <laughs> but um, one thing that was fascinating to learn in Argentina is I was told that Argentinians speak Spanish with an Italian accent. Is, is that true? Is, is that yes, true? Italians, have a, sorry, Argentinians, they have a very strong uh, European background. Right. Uh, whereas Colombians, we are... Um, we are indigenous, Spanish, and Africans. Right. And yeah, so we are quite different. Uh, Colombia is more fun. Right. By far. <laughs> the other, <laughs> thing, the other thing that I learned too is I always thought Australia had the best barbecue, right? Uh-huh. Oh. And then I went to South America. <laughs> These are fighting words, Leo. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, mate. You know, the way... But they can't do a crocodile barbecue like we can. <laughs> like, put it this way. We do. Way. You, you, you know, you go to the equivalent of Casuarina uh, Square in one series, okay, and you go to the food court there. And, you know, in Casuarina Square, we've got food, mainly Asian food, and then, uh, you know, a few other things. In uh, Buenos Aires, it was steak, 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 and then there's a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> 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 Very much in Colombia. We are meat eaters, Leon, yeah. Peter. Like, mm. seriously, we eat rice. That is something that a lot of people, they don't realize. We eat rice with every meal, every day. They think that probably is more probably Indians, Asians. No, we eat rice every day, but meat. If it's not meat and the meal is not a meal. Mm. And it's amazing and it's delicious. So, <laughs> very... Very different, yeah. yeah. We, we, I, when I came to Australia, I could not understand how people would say we'll have a sandwich, a banana sandwich. I say, what? Banana sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> when I tell a sandwich or salad sandwich, I say, no, 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 if it's not made, you don't have a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must say the salad sandwiches were a bit hard to take. The, uh, the uh, tomato and cheese sandwich took a little bit of getting used to. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> But the, the, I can't comprehend that. <laughs> the moral of that story, shame on you for going to South America and going to the equivalent of Casuarina Square. Well, I was, uh, because, I mean, whenever I go to places overseas, I, I like to try and see, you know, what the locals do. I mean, it's like when I went to Dubai, and you totally, you, when you love me saying this, mate, but going to the supermarket in Dubai and going to the dairy section and seeing all the camel milk there, you yeah. know? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's always interesting to see how other people live and, and what they eat. And the best place to, to find that out is going to a local supermarket. Absolutely, yes. And we have found, our... Yeah, go ahead. I, saying, I won't tell you what I, what, I, what I saw when I went to a supermarket in China, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's now considered a state secret, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Giovanna, what were you going to say? Our national drink is something also that a lot of people enjoy. Uh, So we have something called fire water. And and we drink it. It's like like tequila. We drink shots. Ah. So... 
a lot of people they let me use on the oops but so uh, that, that they make people happy very quickly right so is that similar <laughs> to the brazilian caipirinha yeah 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 very similar yeah. all right so, so it is just it's strength. like a, it's um, like a manhattan on steroids uh <laughs> 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 very much clears everything out <laughs> yeah you don't need too many of those but i have to say pete without a word of a lie and i know these they sound like fighting words but mm. you have not had steak until you go to south america it's mm. just outstanding you know, I mean, you it, is, go, it is you great. Know. It's delicious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think with that comes sort of the music, the laugh, and everyone, the way how we enjoy uh, our free time is so different from Australians. We, we just, we are gregarious kind of people and we, we enjoy each other's company. So, yeah. And what do the Aussies do by comparison? <laughs> Watch TV. <laughs> Watch the footy and watch TV, uh, <laughs> which, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. I would rather be with other people. So. Well, um, Giovanna, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast and getting to know you better. Um, in fact, I had no idea that you were up to your um, neck in uh, saltwater crocodiles, uh, mm. and I'm so surprised you're still alive. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's been really interesting. Um, I really wish you well with the um, Mining Council of Australia. Um, it's a very, as you say, it's a very important industry for the Northern Territory, and one of our partners, Kevin Stevens, is up to his neck in mining, I know that. Yes. <laughs> so uh, you, you may be having uh, some dealings with him, no doubt. Um, and and it's also great to know that you're um, Honorary Consul for Columbia here in the Northern Territory. So that's an incredible accolade and so pleasing to see people from overseas come to Darwin and come to the Northern Territory and do so well. I mean, yourself and, and Benji, as you call him, um, and we really look forward, Giovanna, to an invitation to uh, Independence Day for <laughs> Columbia. Uh, is, did you say it was next month? Yes, yeah, yes. So it's on the Crank up the barbecue July. and the firewater. That's Seven. it, yeah, and the, and the fireworks with that. <laughs> and where will that be held? It's going to be at the Timorese Club. Oh, oh nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's going to be easy. Uh, last year was in Maliluk in the city, but it was mm. so busy uh, that we needed a bigger space. So, mm. yeah, so everyone is welcome. 17th of July, July. Saturday, Timuris Club. It's going to be lots of fun, lots of people, lots of activities and dance and good food. So I, everyone must come I along. I would love to go. I think that would be fantastic. I'm just looking at my diary. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Staff picnic. <laughs> Maybe I can finish, leave that and uh, finish yeah. up with that and go straight to the uh, thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's right. And, uh, Independence Day's dinner. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Ivana. Thank you so much for the invitation. I had lots of fun. So, yeah, hopefully, once COVID is over, many more people can travel to Colombia. And yeah, looking forward to keep sharing more stories. So I'll talk to you later. That was Giovanna Webb on the Territory Story Podcast. We'll catch you again next time.
You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.